Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to talk about Game of Thrones, uh, particularly why I don't think it works. Luke hasn't seen it, so I'm going to be brainwashing him. Yeah, here to be brainwashed. <laughs> so, like, nothing in Monogan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most dory thing you've ever said. <laughs> um, as always, if you want to get in touch with a question, because this one has, uh, we're doing Game of Thrones because uh, Colleen on Twitter she did has suggested Colleen Rutten. Yes, yes that uh, she suggested that we do a podcast on Game of Thrones. So if you have a topic or something that you want Bass to rant about, then uh, get in touch with him on Twitter at Basim Story or me at. Lucius Malcolm. Can I just say, or, if you are going to ask me, you, know, it's, you can do the le- next bit in a second. Okay. I just say, if you are going to ask me to comment on something, it doesn't always have to be something that gives me the rage. It, ca- <laughs> it can be something I like. We could talk about things, things we like. It doesn't. Okay. Or <laughs> rants are funnier. Yeah, I guess. Um, or we have a website. We have a new website uh, up and running, so if you want to get in touch, you can drop us a message through there, and all the podcasts are uh, listenable through that, and the website is thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. Yes. That is my admin done. Yes, Luke set up the website because um, I have a meltdown if I try. Because it's something else that gives you rage. It, uh, no, rage Rage is kind of funny. This is just a full-on breakdown. <laughs> I, I snapped trying to do even these podcasts. Like, it just... <laughs> like, recording them was fine, but trying to put them on iTunes was insane, and we, we'll never speak of it again. So... Game of Thrones. Okay. <laughs> so onto a nice calming subject. I'm already, I'm already starting the sweats. <laughs> it's like Nam flashbacks. Uh, so Game of Thrones. Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Uh, this this intro is getting longer every time. Right, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Thrones of games. Games of Thrones. So Game of Thrones. Um, I remember when that first started. Uh, when it was a thing. Uh, some of my friends are big role playing guys. And they love all their Tolkien. And they read uh, at least the first book of Martin. I think they uh, they knew about it anyway. I'd never heard of Game of Thrones. And they did this whole party of let's all watch the first episode together. So I watched the first episode and I thought, wow, this is really great. Um, so I bought the box set. I didn't watch any more of the episodes because I didn't have Sky or anything. It was on Sky. I bought the box set. I loved. Uh, I was watching the first season. I thought this is absolutely brilliant. And then um, they made a huge mistake in the first season's climax and destroyed the show. And now I I watched season two and was bored. And I watched some of season three. Well, I watched season three and what I call the popcorn edit, which I'll explain later, <laughs> where you kind of just skip bits that you know are going, aren't going anywhere. And I saw a bit of season four. And since then, like every now and again, I might might dip my toes in just to see like a scene or two but by and large for me the show is dead um i don't like it i don't remember game of thrones starting that completely passed me by really yeah ah. totally i'm guessing it uh, that's because i think uh the it was dan harrison and johnny those guys okay are the ones that got were really when into game did, of thrones when did game of thrones start well it's on season six now right so six years so ago. so six years ago yeah Season six, season seven, something like that now. Sure. Okay. So, but it wasn't a thing. Uh, it was a thing that Dan Harrison and Johnny Excel, they knew about. Um, but, like, we'd never heard of it. Uh, and then the the show came out, then people like Aaron and other guys, they all watched, oh, sorry, read the books as a result. And then it's become this big thing since then. But it was, it was a thing I think only real fantasy nerds knew about. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. I'm just a comic nerd as opposed to fancy. Sure. Um, so I think it was something that very few people really knew about in advance, um, which is why you wouldn't have picked up on it. But yeah. yeah, it started off, I thought, great. So um, you haven't seen it. No. So I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the first season of what happens, and we'll see if we can, by doing that, if we can elucidate the problem. Sure. of the show because the show is really really successful people really really love it and so when I go out on a limb and say hey 
this is not very good. Hey, Batman v Superman is really good, etc. <laughs> I kind of have to. You have to back it up. I have to back it up, and uh, you can't see the graphs and mathematical formulae that I have. You see ones and zeros. I do, and <laughs> and he- x's and all those other kind of cliches, right? Because uh, <laughs> right? that's not how it works, maths. People maybe it does. I don't know. I just don't think Goodwill Hunting is the mathematical documentary that I think it is. <laughs> anyway, so Game of Thrones season one. Here's how it goes. Um, it opens. Uh, with there's this enormous wall at the north of this continent. There's a continent called Westeros, okay? And there's all these sort of cities in there, city-states that are fighting each other, okay? But there's sort of a peace, okay? There's a king in King's Landing. He's he's ruling. The other houses are kind of all keeping their peace. The House Lannister, the House Stark, etc., okay? House Stark is the most north of these places in Winterfell, right? That's the name of this place, okay? And they guard a thing called the Wall. And the Wall is this enormous wall that reaches, I don't know how many, hundreds of feet high, miles long, enormous wall, ice, snow, everything. And on the other side is just perpetual Antarctic-type wasteland, okay? They send people out over this wall, you know, as excursions. And at the very first episode, these their ex, their scout group is murdered by what appears to be some sort of ice zombie type thing. Okay? And um uh so so these ice zombie things, they slaughter the the scouting party and one of them, one of the scouting party runs away. They don't escape, they run. Yeah, they just leg it. It's not like they, they manage to fight their way out. They run from cowardice, right? They're terrified. Yeah. And it's really excellent. You go, wow, what are these things? Because it seems really realistic medieval type stuff. But actually, there's this weird zombie thing going on. What's going on with this weird ice zombie? And he runs back, and the king of Winterfell, Ned Stark, played by Sean Bean, uh, executes him for desertion. He does it himself because he says, if you're going to sentence a man to death, you have to carry it out as the king. And he's teaching this to his son. And he's a very honorable person. And the the reason that they do the desertion is because what's up past the wall is sort of a legend of horror. So it's a very serious business. So what we discover as the series builds up is that there, when, this phrase that they have, winter is coming. When they say winter is coming, they don't just mean that it's going to get like cold those things behind the wall are going to attack those things are coming those weird things they call the white walkers right they're going to come so they have to prepare to deal with these guys because winter is coming so Stark is aware of this however at the same time the king King Baratheon um, he gets uh, he goes hunting and he gets attacked by a boar and he dies and so now the, there's someone else has to take over the throne, the Iron Throne. And what's happened is his son is the heir, his son Joffrey. But his son Joffrey isn't actually his son. His son is the product of the incest between the queen and the queen's brother, who are both part of House Lannister, right? So there's this incestuous relationship that has produced a bastard offspring who's pretending to be the rightful heir to the throne. He's not the rightful heir to the throne. Stark, Ned Stark, discovers this is going on. He discovers about the incest. He discovers that Joffrey is not the rightful heir to the throne of Westeros. And not only that, but there was before King Baratheon, they had a huge war with house uh, with another house called House Targaryen, where the king was completely insane, and he tried to kill everyone. They killed, the, in the backstory, they wiped out this house, except for two people, who are now on another continent, off the side, like a desert world, a continent, very hot, summery place, and they are raising an army. So these people, it, uh, is a woman called Daenerys, who's called Khaleesi and all this, she has a thousand names, Daenerys. Daenerys is raising an army in this other place. She's uh, thought to be uh, born of uh, the dragons, so she's immune to fire. 
she can have. Is she supposed to be the dragon mother in the future? She's prophesied. Is she the one with the dragon in the posters? Yes, that's her exactly. At this point, she doesn't have the dragon, but uh, she's. They they call them the dragonborn and so forth. And what she's doing uh, is she is sold by her brother to a sort of barbarian king called Karl Drago, and Karl Drago is uh, played by Jason Momoa, who is Aquaman. Right. Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman. And he is sold her as part of like a dowry. And the idea is he will lead his army and conquer Westeros for these two, the brother and sister. However, this army is super tough, really hardcore army. The only reason they haven't conquered Westeros is because they are they uh, believe in horses. Like they revere horses and they hate the sea. They've never crossed the sea. That's the one reason they've never done it. So Carl Drago and Daenerys actually get really well on together. They kill the brother who sold her, right? And it's a really great death scene, by the way, that he gives him. And um, so Drago and Daenerys raise this army. They get dragon eggs. They're fueled by prophecy. And because of all the prophecy and all this imagery, Carl Drago thinks, yes, we can cross the sea. So she's got an army that's going to cross the sea. Stark hears about this, but he's not too sure about how true it is, right? So Stark is at the center of these three big elements, okay? And what happens is just as he's discovering about the incest between the two, uh, between the queen and her brother, the Lannisters, just as he's discovering about this, the Lannisters attack him, kidnap him, stick him in prison, and hold him for treason. Okay? So now, the king of Night- of Winterfell, the ki- Stark, he's in prison in King's Landing, held by the Lannisters, who have now taken the throne from the dead king. Right? And he's sitting there. Guess what that does? That sparks a civil war. His sons le- raise an army, and they start marching towards Westeros, attacking, going all the way to King's Lake. They're just fighting, fighting, fighting. Lots and lots of fighting. Stark is trapped in prison, right? And uh, he realizes that this is all, everything's falling apart. They're, they're getting closer and closer. And what they have to do is um, the Stark brothers need to get to Westeros before they execute their father. Okay? They have to get there beforehand. So they have to get there now. They, they haven't got time to... It's not like a regular war where you're building supply lines and conquering. They're just plowing their way through the uh, continent. And they're getting closer and closer. And so the queen, the, the, she offers Ned Stark an out. She says, look, if you admit to treason, you won't get executed. That will end the war. Everything's done. It preserves our throne. All this. Ned Stark is extremely honorable. He doesn't want to lie. But he realizes the only way to save his family, it's the only way to stop the war, it's, it's for the greater good. So he gets, so they have their trial in front of everything. He admits that uh, that um, he's going, he's, he's got the trial and there's the whole thing. Like, is he going to admit he was treasonous or not? Okay, I want to stop there for a second. Who's the protagonist of this story? Uh, Stark. Ned Stark, right? Sean right. Bean. Okay, here's what happens next. Ned Stark is on trial in front of the big crowd. He admits to treason. They go, everything's fine, all's good. The little kid Joffrey, the bastard child, the incestuous child, goes, excellent. Right, kill Stark. And the queen can't stop him. No one can stop him because he's the king. And so they execute Ned Stark. They cut his head right off. Across the continent... Carl Drago gets into an argument with one of his underlings. His underlings stab him. He gets a bit of a blood infection from the stab. And he dies. <laughs> blood infection? I'm not making this up. Blood infection? Yes. Okay. He dies. Daenerys... Magic blood infection? <laughs> no. Okay. No, not even magic. Uh, he dies. As a result, all those warriors decide Daenerys isn't the chosen one. And they leave... That's the end of season one. Now, can you see what the major problem is that has happened at the end of season one? Okay, so let me let me let me get this straight. Yes. This the chap that died from blood infection mm. mm-hmm. was gonna bring the army across. Yeah. He died, yeah. and so the army's not coming anymore. Yeah. She has no army to She has no army Nothing. to so she's done. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, Stark. Yes. Who was building up this threat of ice zombies. Yes. Okay, so he's gone. Yes. <laughs> and he knew about the incest. Yep. And nobody else knows about the incest? Yep. Apart from the, bas- the, the uh, bastard son. No, the son doesn't know. Oh, the son doesn't know. No. Just, so just nobody the, knows about Three the characters incest. knew about the incest, yeah. Right. Three characters knew. Yeah. Oh, and the, the whole, brother, and the sister, whole problem, and the, see, the whole problem with it is if Stark announces that they are incestuous, it will cause what? A civil war. A civil war, which has happened anyway. Because he's been kidnapped. Right. So he's trying to hold the, the whole thing together. Hence the whole joke of Arrested to Westeros, where... And the story of the one man who had to keep his country together. <laughs> like, there's a whole th- a whole series of memes of taking... Like, when Stark is in prison, he goes, I may have been arrested for some light treason. <laughs> loads and loads of things. Constantly things like, um, you know, I've made a huge mistake. One of the characters gets his hand cut off, and he goes, I never thought I'd miss a hand so much. That kind of stuff, right? All these kind of ridiculous matchups. I love it. Okay. But, um, yeah. Okay, so... So the brother and the sister knew about the incest yes. and Stark, but the brother and sister are going to keep it secret yes. anyway. Yep. So Stark was the only one that yep. could have told anybody, yep. and now he's gone. Yep. Did he write it down in a journal? Nope. Um, did he leave a what, series of what, What's the problem now, going into season two? The problem is the protagonist is dead. And? So what does that mean for season two? There's no story. Right. Okay. So uh, straight away, I was like, there's no story. You've got nothing left, right? The way I've described... This is true. The first season of the story, you have Ned Stark at the center of what looks to be three different reasons, three different plot lines that are going to destroy the world, as we know. We've got the army coming from Daenerys, we've got the civil war, and we've got the, the winter is coming. Yeah. Okay? What's more is... The, the impetus for the attack on West, uh, on King's Landing by his sons is because he's still alive. They have a time limit to get there. So as soon as this happened, I went, season two's in trouble because there's no reason for the Stark brothers to keep going after King's Landing. Because there's they nothing, don't need... They can take yeah. as much time as they want. There's no rush. Sure. Uh, Daenerys hasn't got an army, so she can't... She's got nothing to do. And, and Winter incest. isn't doing anything, hasn't gone anywhere. The incest, it can't come out. Because so Winter, no Winter doesn't go anywhere. Right. As of season six or seven, Winter hasn't come. Daenerys hasn't made it to Westeros. She hasn't crossed the sea yet. Oh. Right? As a, as a result of season seven. And the civil war that I was talking about. So, first of all, let's deal with the incest. In season two, people talk about the incest like it's common knowledge. What? Right. It's just, it's just common knowledge. What? People talk about it. Everyone knows Joffrey's is a bastard and says child. No one seems to care, which completely undoes the first How season. did it come about? Oh, the people just seem to know. All the spy masters go, well, we always knew. Like, then season one makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but more importantly than that, the Stark brothers, here's what happens with the Stark brothers. Season two, they wait and don't do much for ages. They have skirmishes here and there. They build up their things and it becomes a sort of basic long war for season two. They have some cool battles, that's about it. Season three, the Stark brother, Rob Stark, uh, he builds up an army, he's doing very well, the war's still progressing, nothing's really happening, but they're, st- they're still at war, the Lannisters and the Starks are at war, Westeros is divided, and build, build, build. And he gets to a point where there is an old guy... Um, who uh, controls a passageway in the co- in the continent that they need to cross in order to attack um, Casterly Island? They need to get to Casterly Island, which is an important stronghold in the war. Okay, uh, I, I'm a bit fuzzy because this is season three. I did um of my popcorn edit of season three. Yeah. Here was my popcorn edit of season three. I started watching the show because. I was I'd given up after season two because I went season two is exactly what I said it would be. It's just treading water for the whole season. Daenerys, for example, gets another gets some dragons and gets another army. The whole of season two is her getting another army, which we right. just saw her do in season one. Yeah. The whole of season two with the Starks is them building up an army, which we just saw them do in season one. I have one. a question it's about all repetition. A question I just noted down about the war. So so, yes. how do they? So in season one, there's this whole tension, like they need to make it to place X before yes. Stark gets 
killed, right? right? Okay, fine. So there's there's an inbuilt time limit. When the time limit goes, what what holds your interest in that war? Nothing. That's why I gave up after season two. Is that it? Like they don't replace that no. with anything. It is just yeah. Hi, we're here and we're sort of a bit at war. So before I carry on, the show is really well done. The actors are really good. There are lots of wonderful things in it. For example, one of the main characters uh, loses his hand is actually an amazing scene. Okay, okay. Uh, Peter Dinklage plays yeah. Lord Tyrion. He's excellent. Um, the, uh, so it's not that there's nothing good in this. There's lots of so wonderful there's other things. things that ke- there's other things but that keep. What you I'm there. focusing on here, the reason I'm going through the plot, is to make it clear what this show was actually about, and not being distracted by the individual moments that are cool. Yeah. Right? Because individual moments are great, but if you take this moment and step back and actually go why you were watching this film in the fir- watching this show in the first place and what was going on, you realize how empty everything is, right? Yeah. So I'm not denying that like the characters are cool and the world is cool and it's well written and well shot and there's lots of nice moments in it. I'm denying that any of it means a damn because as I, as you see there's nothing going on, right? Nothing's really pu- pushing them to get there in any time. In any time frame, they just take their, they take as long as they want. Yeah. So in season three, they're building up for a big fight in Castle Rock, and I am a bit fuzzy because as I was watching it, I, people on Twitter exploded about the end of season three, and I thought maybe it got good again. I'll go back and rewatch. Yeah. So I'm watching it, and um, uh, I'm skipping all the scenes to do with one of the Stark children who can see through wolves. He has this ability to that he can sort of possess wolves and see through them. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool, but I skipped it because it's going nowhere. Okay. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. Okay. At all. And already Daenerys hasn't crossed the sea yet. <laughs> she still hasn't, right? So it's just like, I don't need to see any of this stuff because nothing's going to happen. I can tell nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Right? So this is about the Stark uh, leading the war. So they build up to the Castle Rock thing. And the only way you can get there is there's a like a lord who he upset in a pre- he crossed him in a couple of uh, seasons before by not marrying his daughter. He said he would, and then he went back on his promise. Okay, but he now needs his help. He needs to be able to pass through his land to get to the the Lannisters that they're fighting. So is uh, that is that why they're at war? By the way, they're just trying to now kill the Lannisters. Yeah, they're, okay. they're trying to take over the 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 king's landing, the throne. Sure. They're trying to be as. Retribution? As retribution because the Lannisters are corrupt because Joffrey isn't the real king. Sure. Joffrey, okay. by the way, is still alive at this point. Okay. Um, I, I made a gag in um, in the action lecture. Um, I was talking about villains and how if a villain is too repulsive, they're just annoying. <laughs> and then I went, King Joffrey in Game of Thrones. That little shit has to die. <laughs> Next week in the episode, he did die. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Um, Anyway, so he, the actors who played him was really good, but the character was just badly designed, I think, anyway. Uh, so Joffrey is still alive. So they're trying to, the Starks are trying to reclaim the throne. They have righteousness on their side, etc. So this lord that he upset by not marrying his daughter, he's got to go, he wants to cross his land. He says, can I make it up to you? Can I do this? So they, he goes, yes, of course. They have this whole big thing called the Red, they're called the, it's a, they now call it the Red Wedding. Right. Now, pause there yes. because I made a note to bring up Red Wedding. Okay. Okay. This is it. This is it. So Stark, this Stark's son, Rob Stark, is now at the height of his power. He is... Uh, going, th- he's going through this passageway so he can get to Castle Rock, so they can have the big battle. Is Rob between... Stark now the protagonist? By the way, yes. Okay. Between Rob Stark and the uh, King uh, and the Lannister, the head of the Lannister family, played by Charles Dance, uh, Tywin Lannister. Okay, so this is it. We're building up to this big fight. He's there. They're having the wedding scene. Everything's fine. At which point, the Lord that he betrayed goes. Ha ha, you betrayed me, now I betray you, and they slaughter everyone in the Stark army. They kill everyone. Stark dies, Stark's mothers die, uh, Stark's wife dies. Uh, she's pregnant at the time, so they, she gets stabbed in the belly repeatedly, uh, and then dies. Ah. Uh, then uh, most of his men die, um, and they lose the war. 
And that's the end of the war. That's the end of the war. Yeah. Red Wedding. Yeah. Okay, so, so then season. F- you've now. I want to pause. Yes. Do want to pause on Red Wedding because yes. uh, Red Wedding was when Game of Thrones entered my yes consciousness mm-hmm. because of Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and Facebook yeah. and um, uh, basically Twitter exploded. Yes. On that moment, and it became a big argument about spoilers yes. in the end. Yes. But basically, I heard heard about this Red Wedding. Thought I don't really care about Game of Thrones so I'm just going to see what it is and, and I had no context so it didn't mm. really mean anything but what I've noticed since Red Wedding is anytime anything big happens Twitter explodes yes. and so what I have of Game of Thrones is not the popcorn edit but the Twitter edit Right. so I've got all these big yeah. I know when all these major characters die right. so I knew Red Wedding happened I didn't know this who is the Red was or why so that kills the war when, I, when this happened I'm not joking People cried and stuff, and I think that's pretty cool that people got moved by it. Yeah, I laughed because I went, I can't believe they did it again, right? Because it's the same thing as what happened with Stark, Ned Stark. Yes, however, far more gratuitous. When Twitter exploded the next time, it was when the Viper is killed, uh, who's this guy who shows up in season four, who has a who's that really brave, awesome hero of another house. Think House Tyrell, and he has a real gripe with the Lannisters, and he's like, "I've had enough of you guys because you guys raped and killed um, some people that I care about." And he built that builds up for six episodes, and he's awesome, and he's handsome, and he's cool, and he fights the mountain, and the mountain is this badass, and like this awesome fight. And you saw the video because I played it for you just beforehand to make yeah. a point, and you saw what happens. He ba- he makes his head explode um, by crushing it. <laughs> And um, the, Twitter exploded with this. And I remember when Twitter exploded, they, again, they didn't want to spoil it by saying what it was. And I thought, I bet you they've done something even more gratuitous than last time. And they had indeed. Right? This is just ridiculous, that, that, that death scene. It's disgusting. It's not exciting or sad or tragic. It's just disgusting. Um, in the books, maybe. I don't... But I'm talking about the show. And... Um, uh, again, this character was someone building up, causing trouble, and now he's dead again, right? And th- this was after that. I've, like, I, I don't think I've seen really anything to do with Game of Thrones. What season was that? Four. Four, okay. Daenerys still hasn't got to Westeros. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you mentioned four times already. <laughs> I'm just saying, winter hasn't come. Winter, winter hasn't come. I knew winter hadn't, hadn't yeah. come yet. Yeah. Uh, so, so why... Get, ca- get, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, maybe we'll come back to what what point you were going to make, but I d- the main question I have is why are all our friends watching this? Okay, it's really well but told. Not, but, but like loving it. It's really well told. Right, okay. This is the power of storytelling. If you can tell something really, really well, people will love it, okay? They have excellent storytellers. It's just the story isn't very good. What I'm doing is I'm telling you just what happens, right? Yeah. It's not interesting. But when you tell it through Sean Bean and all these other wonderful actors and you have all that great music and you have the great sets and everything, you kind of don't notice. But people are noticing because they're going, wait a minute, how is Daenerys not on Westeros yet? Are they, they're starting to notice People have now. been starting to notice for the last couple of seasons. People are going, hold on. And not only that, as they kill off all the characters, they go, who's left for me to care about? Why do I care? Uh, I, I made this point in the TV lecture. The problem with Game of Thrones is winter is coming, winter is coming, war is coming. So what? Everyone's already dead. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's no stakes anymore because you killed everyone off. Yeah. Um, so there's this huge, huge problem. They build up these characters, they kill them off, and they get away with it by being incredibly gratuitous. Uh, a really good example that, of this. That, that scene you showed me just before we yes. started recording, the yeah. Viper dying scene, yeah. but was disgusting. Yeah. It is. It's not better because it's set up. If you watch some episodes beforehand, it's just disgusting. And the uh, comparison I always make is, look at Vikings, right? The Blood Eagle. Yeah. So Vikings I have seen. Yeah. And Vikings is amazing. There's an episode in that called The Blood Eagle. and the whole Episode 9, season 2. Something. No, oh, episode Something. 7. Yeah. yeah. And the whole premise of The Blood Eagle is the main character is going to torture his nemesis by the most horrible torture they have called the blood eagle where they cut open your back yeah, they pull split, your lungs out yeah they split your 
um, split your rib cage at the back and yeah. splay it so your rib cage pops open. Yeah. Um, it's disgusting. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, why isn't it disgusting in the show? Because they don't show you any of it. Not only that, but what's that scene actually about? The scene has subtext. Right? The whole point of that torture is if the enemy that you're torturing doesn't scream, he's guaranteed Valhalla. Oh, so as you're watching it, you're yeah. wondering, will he scream? And he doesn't scream. And the fact that he doesn't scream, you see that the the protagonist, uh, Lothbrook, actually respects his enemy. Yeah. As much as he hates him, he respects him. There's a part of him that doesn't want him to scream, that wants him to scream so he doesn't get Valhalla. But at the same time, because he doesn't, he goes, yeah, I respect him. And then you get this odd thing of like, they never needed to fight in the first place. Mm. Because they both respect each other. And... There's a dignity to it, and all this, and it's just oh, like getting tingles. What a right? episode! <laughs> and it's disgusting that, that what's happening to him. It's horrible, but it's powerful. It's emotionally it's it. the powerful. Way, the way they do it is earlier in the episode they describe exactly what they're going to do to yes. him, uh, as in the way I describe it. Yeah. His ribcage is going to pop open. Yep. They'll take out his insides. It's the most painful way to die. You're not allowed to scream, yep. and so you're dreading this scene. And it's all done. Um, uh, with, there's no sound it's all music as yep. far as I it remember um, and it's all quite slow and moodily lit and you don't ever see yes. the the axe hit skin you see it True. from the front of him yep. and you see his face actually you do uh, and you see so the fact he's not the, screaming the big difference is in the blood eagle you feel something you feel excited you feel uh, the range of emotions that you're supposed to feel right in Game of Thrones that scene you are disgusted you don't feel disgusted. You are disgusted. You don't feel surprised. You are shocked. Yeah. There's a difference. It's a superficial thing. Okay? And that is is the... It, it, they have to do that because there's no substance. His death doesn't mean anything. Viper's death. Rob Stark's death, Ned Stark's death, these things are anticlimactic. They're, they're essentially like they're, like a Deus Ex Machina. They have no meaning. Why? Are... And so they have to they have to put sex and violence in there to compensate for that. <laughs> they do. As, sorry, I just uh, just having seen yeah. uh, the first episode of the South Park ripoff. I just butters yes. popped into my head and said, "So many wieners." Yeah. Um, so I have a question. Why does Martin kill so many characters? Well. I think it's because he is misguided. He thinks that the only way to really generate lots of surprise and tension and excitement and shock your audience is by killing characters off when they least expect it. Um, and I don't think that's true. Um, I think you can get lots of excitement from characters being alive. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I think fun statistically speaking you're more likely to excite the audience by keeping your characters alive yeah I think so I think killing your characters off to try to shock them is is a mistake um, because you're kind of tra- it's kind of Pennywise pound stupid you're getting a big shock right now but you're sacrificing lots in to come and also it, it just there's this thing of like okay I can just uh, kill off my characters whenever I want People won't know what's coming, but actually people do know what's coming because there's a formula to it. Uh, and he has there's a formula. formula in Game of Thrones? Yeah. His formula is if the character is the protagonist and it's about to resolve the story, he kills them. That's how you know they're going to die. And that's how you they know... They look so- like they're going to accomplish something. Yeah. And if they're not going to accomplish anything, they can live forever, which is why King Joffrey lives forever, which is why Daenerys can live forever. But Khal Drago can't. Like any character that can resolve the story has to go, because uh, th- then he has to write an ending. Um, and so I, I have this pro- I have this problem with it because um, killing off your main character isn't something that he invented. It's not like it's something new. It's it's a thing that happens. I mean that's what tragedies are built around. But he he's he's using it, and I think it causes two sort of major problems. Um, the first problem is if you kill your protagonist, there's no one to drive the story anymore. The story, the, the story's over. 
by definition because there's no protagonist without protagonist you can't have a story uh, the protagonist holds the well of emotional interest the cat protagonist drives the story to the end of the line if you don't have a protagonist if you don't have uh, uh, you won't have any emotional interest you won't have anyone pursuing, pursuing the story therefore you have no story I'm assuming there's no problem killing a character off, uh, a protagonist off, when they're part of a group protagonist. If they're part of, if the if the protagonist is made up of multiple characters, then any one of those characters can carry the story on. Yeah. Any one of those characters could continue with the emotional interest. But if you kill off the entire team, there's no story. Yeah. Um, and but in Game of Thrones, it's not a group protagonist. They are. Well, uh, the first season is well. Game of Thrones has a bunch of storylines going on. Um, but there's a central storyline, which yeah. is Ned Stark. He kills off Ned Stark, the central storyline is over. And then other characters have their own little storylines that he then tries to build into a big storyline. And eventually Rob Stark becomes the protagonist for the central story. But the central story of of, um, of Game of Thrones is the three wars. The civil war, the war uh, with Daenerys, and the war with the White Walkers. Those two of which don't have those. Moved that's the, the central storyline. Is that those three things are all happening at the same time? Stark sure. was at the center of all three, so when he kills him off, he splits them up. Right. Okay. So okay. immediately you've got a problem. You've kind of you, you you you've already sprawled out your story and made it less tight. So the first problem when you kill your protagonist is you can lose direction and lose interest. Yeah. Right. Which is what I think happened. So the the audience would lose interest. Yeah, and I think they have. They've started to lose interest, and it's become a problem. And um, people are getting less and less uh, excited by Game of Thrones with every season because it's they don't care anymore. All the characters they like are dead. Um, the story doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Um, so it's not working. The other problem that I have with killing off your main character is it's kind of lazy. And here's why. I mean, it's risky, it's, but it's rate, it's lazy. When you get your character into a corner, and then your way to get them out of the corner is to just kill them off, that's not getting out of the corner. You know, that's that's not... Um, that's also not very interesting. It's not either. very interesting. What you want to do is you want to... Um, you want to so, I always, I always use this example because uh, Will... Uh, a friend Will, he um, he loves Game of Thrones, and one of his favorite films is Miller's Crossing. And in Miller's Crossing, he has one of his favorite scenes, which is the Albert Finney scene with the Tommy gun scene, where Albert Finney is an old aging gangster at the end of his prime, as it were, and he's at home, and a bunch of gangsters show up to kill him. And it looks like he's dead, like there's no way out of this film. But he manages to turn the tables, and he kills them, he kills his would-be assassins, and it's this amazing scene, and Will loves it. And I was saying, imagine if Rob Stark got out of the Red Wedding. He survived the Red Wedding. Now imagine that Rob Stark taking on Tywin Lannister at Casterly Rock. That's so much more exciting. Now he could die. He could still lose. He doesn't have to win. It's not like Rob Stark deserves to win. It's just that... If Rob Stark gets out of the Red Wedding somehow, because that's the this big scene, if he actually gets out of it and then goes towards Castle Rock, that climax is going to be amazing. It's ju- it's just going to generate this huge amount of excitement. So if- so far from excitement shocking the audience, him surviving would be far more shocking. So if um, uh, if Castle Rock is the climax, is there a yeah, part of this like formula? Civil War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is um. Uh, is Martin robbing the audience of the climaxes of these stories? Though? I think so. I think so. I think basically what it is is I call I came up with a term for this because he does it with Ned Stark, he does it with Rob Stark, and he does it with the Viper, he does it with Carl Drago. I called it a mortis ex machina, right? Death from the machine. Uh, you you just have a character. He's about he's in this you know really tough situation, and there's the you're building, 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 and then you just kill off the character poof all the meaning goes and it's and like yeah okay it, it's an and it's a it's an ex machina because ex machina doesn't just mean coincidence it means that there's no meaning it's uh, a logical setup that he betrayed this king and now this king wants revenge logically it's set up but it's not 
it's not an aesthetic setup. What's um, what's the difference then between a logical setup and I guess therefore payoff and an aesthetic setup and so payoff? A logical setup is just simply cause and effect. So uh, Y happened because X happened before it. Okay, simple as that. So he betrayed him earlier. You can then use that as a setup to say later on, okay, here's the payoff. He betrays him back. Logically, that makes some sense. But it's not aesthetically interesting because uh, while it's logically set up, uh, there's no meaning set up to it. There's no um, emotional set up to it. It's just a logical consistency. But you invent the world. So logical consistencies can be a little satisfying, but not... Certainly, they're better than having none at all. But they're not particularly satisfying. It's just a very superficial form of satisfaction. Oh, yeah, I do remember that this guy, they had this problem. Oh, I can see how this would be the result of those things. It's a repercussion thing. But it doesn't have the meaningful aesthetic kind of payoff that you would get. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Sorry. (laughs) Two words. Drowning in a random. Um, (laughs) Up in the air. (laughs) Uh, uh, No, the ending of Jurassic Park. I read a blog um, by a comedy writer who argued that the ending of Jurassic Park wasn't a deus ex machina because the T-Rex is set up. Yeah, right. Uh, That's a logical setup. Like the T-Rex eats velociraptors or whatever. Yeah. That's, That's fine. But it doesn't mean anything. Um, so it is a deus ex machina because deus ex machina erodes meaning yeah deus ex machina uses coincidence to erode meaning but traditionally like uh, Apollo comes down solves everything well Apollo was set up Apollo was always set up gods exist yeah the gods are real people would have gone by Apollo Apollo will come and smite you one day they would have said that stuff all the time Apollo was set up it's part of the culture Uh, it wasn't it wasn't like they just invented someone who just showed up out of nowhere it's part of the culture Um, so it was set up logically, but meaningfully, it had no meaning at all. The gods come down and they just end the story. So the story's coming along, and logically, you've set up a way for him to die, but it doesn't have any meaning. He's just dead. I asked people what the meaning of Ned Stark's death was. Like, what's the meaning of it? And the best answer I got from uh, Will was, "You either play the game of th- if you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die." And I thought that is pretty cool. Except that Ned Stark didn't play the Game of Thrones. He was actively trying not to play the Game of Thrones. That that would make more sense if Cersei Lannister had died, or Tywin Lannister had died, or um, Daenerys died. Yeah, they're playing the Game of Thrones. Ned Stark isn't playing the Game of Thrones. What is the Game of Thrones? It's the uh, the political drama around who is going to be the king. So it's not the tie-in board game? No. Which I hope is good. I haven't played it yet. Um, but it's not that. It's, it's So he's... he's the idea is like he got caught up in the politics and you either right. win the politics or you die but it's like but he he actively avoided the politics as much as he could um the real meaning of of ned stark's death is that uh it, it, you can be so honorable that you end up betraying yourself it's kind of where that is trying to go sorry ned or Ron? ned stark ned yeah okay. you're trying to he's so honorable he ends up sort of betraying himself yeah which i think is kind of brilliant but that doesn't really come out in the story. Uh, it happens too soon. Uh, it could work if it was just if that was the end of the show. <laughs> but um, the, but the problem is like the, even that isn't that satisfying because even if you ended the show there, you still have the question. Well, what about the White Walkers? What about Daenerys? What about this? What are, there's all these unopen uh, these open questions left that aren't just like oh it's up to you to make up. It's like no these are this is the story that you told us you're going to tell. So it's this thing of like you're promising something, but you can't I, deliver it. I like the idea of the promise. Yeah, uh, I think I think we brought that up before. But when you when you start a story, inciting incidents promise. Yeah, you promise a certain thing and yeah. you give it to them. And but the trick is, as William Goldman said, you give it to them in the way that they didn't expect. Right. Um, well, no one expected all these characters dying. No one did, but at the same time, they still expected some sort of payoff. Um, and they're not getting them. They're not getting the payoffs. People are losing interest. Yeah. Like three years ago, four years ago, I couldn't, I couldn't make jokes like this about Game of Thrones. I couldn't like slap it around. But now, like in lecture, I can make jokes about Game of Thrones and people laugh because we're in season because seven. Season and... seven and Daenerys hasn't got to Westeros. <laughs> I made that joke in the action lecture. You can actually see the clip of it on YouTube where I said uh, Daenerys is never getting to Westeros. She's going to get on a ship. 
the ship will sink and she'll tread water for another ten seasons. <laughs> uh, and that gets a laugh. Mic drop. Yeah, it got a laugh, and it's like, but that would never have got a laugh in season two because right. the people were really into it. But now people are realizing, yeah, she still hasn't got there. This mm. still hasn't happened, really. And when I bring up stuff like the incest story, people go, "Yeah, that was a big deal." It's like, yeah, it's not anymore. Why? It was a huge, hugely important thing, and now it's not. So. <clears throat> killing off your main characters is a way of shocking your audience but it's also a way of sort of make, tricking your audience it's, it's, um, it's, the, it's the thing that people always do in horror films I mean this is a horror film cliche you kill off what people think is the main character yeah right it's, it's, a, it, you, it's, it, it's always the same thing uh, the, there's the difference between aesthetic emotion and the superficial emotion you get a shock because you can't generate a deep sense of excitement so you startle. You right. can't generate real terror, so you shock people. You can't generate real harrowing, so you just disgust them. Right. Right? That's the difference. And so um, he kills off his main characters because he thinks that will generate this sense of dread and so on. But actually, what causes the dread and so forth is not the, the, the climax to these things, but the setup to them and the build-up to them. Will he or won't he get out of it? If he gets out of it, great. If he doesn't get out of it, okay. But that's not what's generating the excitement. So, killing off the characters all the time. Like if, if it were the case, then that would mean you could never be excited about someone like Indiana Jones. But obviously people love Indiana Jones. He can never die. We know he can't die. So, I know now that the series has passed the books, isn't it? I th- yeah, I believe it. The books true. have run out. Yeah. So, if the books have run out and essentially Martin doesn't write the stories anymore do you think that he no i think he's he's told them what's going on but they've changed they're changing certain things things are different um as far as i know from what i hear the books are better than the show right and i've heard some things uh from aaron and others about things that happen in the book like the viper's death is actually a bit better in the books in the sense that that he has an ulterior motive for why it happens but even then i just don't think it's that good yeah, but it's better. It's yeah. just not as good. But yeah, I, I he kills off these characters because and it works. You know, people people buy this. People think, oh yeah, I don't know what's going to happen next, and I'm just like, I, I do. Is there a? Is I I can tell what's going to happen next because I just I know how he's writing it. I know what he why he why he makes the choices he's making. Is there a pro to killing a character? Well, yeah, um, it can really. It's like a gear shift movie. Remember we talked about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's a huge turn. It's a huge turn. It can be unbelievable. It can raise the adrenaline through the roof, everything. But there has to be the insight for it. And the Game of Thrones did. People are like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. So like, yeah, it's true. You don't know what's going to happen next. But then when you say, I don't know what's going to happen next, <laughs> the hope is it's going to be better than what I've seen. Right. But when what happens next is the exact same thing that you had before, it's not great. Like, you know, as I was saying about um, uh, Stark um, dying and he's the protagonist of the incest story. Well, what's going to happen with the incest story? Who's going to carry that story forward? Um, You know, my suggestion was Cersei takes over, right? Cersei's so filled with paranoia that she thinks Ned Stark told someone that he wrote it down or something and so she desperately tries to find out, hey... Who knows about my incest? And in the course of doing that, exposes herself. That would be really cool. And it would progress the story. So, okay, if Ned St- if you just, on the other hand, have someone else just pick it up, it's just another detective, right? So when you kill off the character, people go, well, what's going to happen next? They expect it to be a progression and different, not a repetition of what you've already done. Because then why did you do it in the first place? Why did you go back and do it again? If you're going to kill Carl Drago off after, she's, uh, after Neris has got an, an army... Why would you do that if the whole point is to have her get another army? She's already got the army. Yeah. If you're going to have Rob Stark go to war with King's Landing uh, and then you kill off Ned Stark that's driving him to war, why then would you then do that so that you spend the next two seasons building up his motivation for him to continue going to war? Like you already had. Like the, Before Ned Stark died, they were going to be at King's Landing almost within a few days. Ned Stark dies, it takes them two seasons to get even to Castle Rock 
and you're just sitting there going like, "What? Why is it suddenly taken so long?" Well, because there's no motivation for the war. Yeah. So it's it, that that's the thing. So if you're going to kill your character, you know. Do you think an audience will always call BS on? Yeah. Shows. I think you give it enough time, people will notice that the payoffs aren't there, and then they go back and go, "Hey, hold on a minute." Because we know eventually, uh, eventually yeah. it happened with Lost and Galactica and, Galactica. and Heroes, and it's and happened Heroes, to this. Yeah. It's a bit, people have already like it's funny uh, because the the, the magic uh, the world this world has no magic in it, but it's slowly been getting more and more magic, and so all the critics that were going, "This is like serious drama. This isn't like regular <laughs> fantasy," are now backpedaling, trying to explain how it's okay that this show has basically elves and dragons and magic in it <laughs> and is Lord of the Rings and at the same time you have all the people who are going this is the greatest show in the world everything now they're kind of going like have you noticed that nothing has happened for four years and people are sort of going yeah nothing has happened has and also not only that not only has nothing happened you kind of don't care what happens next because all the characters you like are dead <laughs> I, it, I, I made a, that joke in, I made yeah. that joke in the lecture where I, I was like War is coming, winter is coming, but so what? Everyone's already dead. This doesn't matter. Do you... Um, um, uh, so, has effectively nothing happened in the seven seasons? Uh, not really since the first season. I mean, stuff has happened to individual characters. So th- Things have happened. Yeah. But, in, but it's relative. It's like saying, has nothing happened? Yeah, there's been loads of scenes, but there's been no acts. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, the big story is that the White Walkers are coming, Civil War, uh, Daenerys is coming. Daenerys hasn't made it to Westeros. So, technically... And there's no sign of the Ice Zombies? There's no sign... The Ice Zombies are there. We know more about them, but I don't think they've crossed the wall. Um, The Civil War seems to be in a perpetual state of nothing really happening. And it's just... There are things that happen... So Daenerys gets another army and so forth, but it's one of those things where you get to a certain point, and then if you have lot, it's a point of no return, right? It's the yeah. point of no return principle. You get to a point of no return, you know, lesser actions than that can't get the protagonist what they want. Yeah, you can't get that thing. So it, they cross the point of no return, but then they go back. So yeah, things are happening, but because you've passed that point of no return, they don't feel like anything's going on. Right. So, yeah, you can kill Rob Stark off, but that doesn't really mean as much as killing off Ned Stark, because Ned Stark was so important. Yeah. So Rob Stark's death is less important than Ned Stark's. Daenerys gets another army. So what? She's still on Westeros. Uh, Still on um, the other island. She hasn't got to Westeros yet. So what? The White Walkers haven't crossed the wall yet. So what? So that's the the next part of the story. Yeah. And it hasn't happened. Or something else. You know, you, you... Whatever the story's about. So does Daenerys just have her own thing going on? Yeah. In fact, the uh, I think in the last season was the first time someone from Westeros interacted with her. Really? Yeah. Uh, t- uh, uh, Tyrion. Did they, did they go over there? Mm-hmm. Ah. He ran away um, because he got... He got in, arrested for another crime. Like he, he keeps getting in these ridiculous. Anyway, though, I don't care. Uh, but he, he, he ran. Like he's one of the best characters in the show, and I just don't care. Okay. Uh, this the thing: the emotional interest isn't there. Like he's he's a wonderful character, but he doesn't have a story. Why? Well, right. I, I don't know what that character's story is about. What he's doing? He doesn't seem to want anything. There's no spine of it. He's not got a spine. No, of I don't know what spine. If, or if he has a spine of action, it's so pointless to the rest of the thing it has nothing to do with anything that's really important so what do I care before then I ask the final question can I reword it slightly and say yes. um, what what can we learn from Martin's writing so you've you've panned him oh what's good about it what's good about the world Martin's is excellent writing. so the word world building is worth world learning building is from. so good the f- I, I still think the first season of Game of Thrones and the world that it takes place in is excellent I think he he's he's got real. He's just got a great imagination. What's so good about the world? I love the wall. The wall. I love the wall. It's just scary and horrifying. What's beyond the wall? It's kind of got a Cthulhu vibe to it. He's it feels less like Tolkien and more like um, Lovecraft. Really? Yeah. 
It's not Lovecraftian at all. No. But I mean, the, the sensations that you get in that world, they feel far more Lovecraftian than they do Tolkien. It doesn't feel like, oh, there's just a big army on the other side of the wall coming. It feels like, no, there's something ancient and unknowable. Terrifying. Beyond, yeah, and terrifying beyond the wall that defies the reality of this world. Um, they break the reality. It's not that they're magical. They're, they're like horror monsters. They break the reality. They're, they're really palpably brilliant. Um, I love the history of the world. I love the savageness of the world as well. Um, and so it's ve- it's such a compelling world. And the politics of the world is brilliant. All the houses and all that. I love all that stuff. I thought it was when, excellent. When you were when you were explaining season one before, yeah, um, it sounded like the politics is what made it interesting. Yeah, there's a genre shift between this and Tolkien, for example. Tolkien's very much action and war. This is more political drama, political thriller, um, and the war story. Um, and the the atmosphere of the world is completely different. This is much more plausible and terrifying, whereas Tolkien's is much more wondrous and noble. Um, I never felt in uh, Lord of the Rings like anybody would ever die. It felt. It I feels thought. Quite... I thought they killed Frodo off halfway through the first film, when the cave troll stabs him. Oh really? Yeah, I forgot he had the shirt. I was <laughs> like, He's dead. The only reason I thought Gandalf wasn't dead was because all my fantasy friends that we did role playing with, I'd never read Lord of the Rings. I didn't know anything about Lord of the Rings going yeah. into it, so I didn't even know what happened when he put the ring on. I didn't know it made you invisible, right? All that stuff. I didn't know. But the uh, uh, only reason I knew Gandalf wasn't dead was because he hadn't done enough, based on how people <laughs> talked about him. Oh, so, I see. Oh, he has to come back because he's such a big character in everyone's mind. There's no way this character would have done it otherwise. See? But, of course, my favourite character in Lord of the Rings is Sean Bean. <laughs> Good old dead Sean Bean. <laughs> I I did also didn't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I'd seen the cartoon version or some of it years yeah. ago, which I thought was quite a nice um, yeah. uh, version. But I remember being distinctly angered at the end of the fellowship because I didn't know there were two more coming. I didn't know that either. <laughs> and so when yeah. they were looking out, I was like, "Wow, it's been three hours. They're going to get to Mordor quickly." I, I thought, I thought, yeah, the first film they get to Mordor, destroy the ring, and the second film is about the two towers, whatever that is. <laughs> I thought the ring was done in the first film. Oh, it's like, oh, oh, there's more. <laughs> there's more to this <laughs> ring. There's more to this ring story. So, um, but yeah. Um, but the, the, the world, so I, it's a great fantasy world that isn't really inspired by Tolkien. It seems much more inspired by medieval England, um, and so it's real fantasy. I, I don't want to. Yeah, re, it's realistic fantasy. Realistic it, in the sense that way. it's trying to be much more plausible. Um, it's not as mytho- It's not as mythological. It's not as wondrous. Um, and as a result, he, because he does that, he lets the magic become much more terrifying than wondrous. You said there's no there's no magic, but the magic is coming back. Yeah, the magic's coming back piece by piece. And the cool thing about the world is the idea there was lots of magic in the beginning, and right. it's been dying out, and now it's coming back. Um, it seems like that would give a real um, uh, like power to the magic. Like if yeah, when you see that, there'll be something. It does because at first you're not even sure if it's like Vikings. You're not sure if anyone's actually got magical powers. Right. And then things start happening. You go, don't they? Don't they? And then in Game oh, of the Thrones, oh, the seer in Vikings for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's magic. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so you're not sure with Vikings, like, uh, and they do it really well in Vikings. They straddle that, like True Detective does it as well. The first season of True yeah. Detective. But Game of Thrones is very much like slowly going. Yeah, yeah. This, no, this is full on magic. Uh, have some zombies. <laughs> I love the idea that the critics were were holding this up as yeah. real. You know. Yeah, and now quality television. Yeah, and now it's just like, uh, how do we explain that we we're, we're supporting a show that has elves? <laughs> um, I saw, I'm not. I saw a I saw a clip of one of the more recent episodes, um, and like they have these tree people. <laughs> they have tree people in it, like casting spells and stuff. And I'm like, oh, finding zombies made of ice. And I'm like, oh man, they've gone so far into the magic. There's some people who are just like, what have I been watching? <laughs> you, you can't deny that this is full on fantasy now. Like, if I was, the, you know, so Harry Potter could show up and it won't seem out of place. <laughs> but um, it, it, I, I mean, I like that stuff, but um, it's just funny that he slowly built that up over time. I actually find when, like, you know, I because I listen to YouTube videos or whatever about 
pop culture and what's going on. Sometimes people talk about Game of Thrones, and I always find myself drawn to the history of the world, like how um, certain uh, how, what's been going on in the past of that. If there was something like a Cimmerillion for Game of Thrones, that that kind of thing would interest you. I, I, I just wouldn't wouldn't mind knowing more about it. Like really? in one, in one of the more recent episodes, they had one the character the boy who can see through wolves. I mentioned this yeah. kid that I skipped through because he can see through wolves. He can see through time as well. Apparently, he can possess people in the past. He can travel back in time. Right? I don't understand. I, 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 this is like a season six, seven thing I didn't know he can do. So at some point over the course of the three seasons I didn't watch, he can sort of transport himself into people back in time. And that's I found was actually really cool, some of the cool things. Like, he seems to have a Valen thing going on from Babylon 5. Like, he is a ma- major figure from history oh. that he didn't know. Like, it's possible he's the one who built the wall, <laughs> um, this little kid. Um, what's more important is he's had this sort of uh, a mentally retarded uh, bodyguard called Hodor. I know of Hodor. Yeah, well, you find out why he's called Hodor because all he can say is Hodor, Hodor, and you go, well, "Why?" That's so weird. You can only say his name. You t- it turns out why he says Hodor why all the time, and it's not his name. Um, it's just he's called Hodor because all he says is Hodor, and the reason he says Hodor is because. Um, there's this scene uh, where the kid is possessing Hodor in the past as they're being attacked and Hodor has to save the kid while he's being possessed by the kid who can see through walls by holding the door. Uh. So in the past, his past version of himself keeps saying, hold the door, 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 hold the door. So he's the reason that he's mentally handicapped in the first place and all that. And I was like, Ah, uh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that is kind of cool. I'm not watching this show, but I kind of wouldn't mind. <laughs> like, they showed you the origin of the White Walkers. I thought that was really cool. Um, very mysterious and weird. So it doesn't become... Showing you the origin doesn't make them less scary? Uh, I can't say because I haven't watched the whole thing. Oh, okay. I, I just... I liked... I, there's, it's literally a small scene, It's and uh, I just there's something about it that made me want to know more about it yeah but that's what, what we're saying you know what is it that I like about the show what can we do it's like I think the world is really compelling but I don't think the story is compelling which is a nice point then to segue on to what can we take away for our own writing if, if you want to kill the protagonist of your story which is a extremely risky move but it can be incredibly rewarding if you want to do it Bear in mind, of course, if you're doing a full-length story, killing of your protagonist is just the climax, okay? Yeah. Are you so, full-length as in movie? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or a short story. It's the climax. We're talking about in long form, specifically. See, when you kill off your protagonist, the thing you have to bear in mind is two very important things. The first is the protagonist is driving the story to the end of the line and is carrying the emotional interest of the story. That doesn't matter if the protagonist is one character or ten. That's true. Okay? Ten characters carry the story to the end of the line hold the emotional interest okay doesn't matter how many characters we're talking about that's the protagonist if you kill the protagonist you lose those things so you have to be aware of where is the emotional interest going uh someone like Tyrion uh in um game of thrones is so beloved he can carry a lot of the emotional interest of the story right um the other thing is who's going to drive the story and if you're going to kill the... You see, in a full-length story, it doesn't matter because the story... You kill the protagonist, the story ends. So that no one needs to drive the story. Yeah. You don't need to have emotional interest. Or you the ge- story ends. Or you gear shift. Or you gear shift or whatever. But if you're going to keep moving the story along, you have to you have to explain... You have to um, exp- sort of have a purpose behind it in the sense of why the story has to change protagonists. Yeah. See? So... Because either you're going to shift POV, progress the story in some way, whatever. So you kill the protagonist, the audience goes, what's going to happen next? But they expect it to be that the shift, that there's going to be the shift in storytelling for a reason. You have to preserve their emotional interest somehow, somewhere. Someone has to have their emotional interest. Um, And then someone has to carry the story on. Someone has to drive the story from now on. And the story will change, obviously, you see. Mm. So you have to do that. So in other words, if you kill your protagonist, that's fine. You have to have another protagonist waiting in the wings to carry on the story. If you don't have a protagonist, you don't have a story. You will sprawl aimlessly across all your characters, which is what happens in Game of Thrones. 
um, you will risk losing all kinds of emotional interest. And it's it's basically Game of Thrones. If they kill off the character you like the most, you're out. Right. And that happened for some people. People go, actually, there's no one in this show I like anymore. I'm watching it out of habit. They check out. Is that what happened with Ned? Uh, no, for me, <laughs> no. I actually, who was the character I really liked? Uh, I, I think I, I loved, I loved Carl Drago. I loved Ned Stark. I really loved Jamie Lannister. I loved Tywin. I actually loved a lot of the characters. My emotional interest was still there, um, but uh, I could tell there's no story. Right. That was my problem for me. Game of Thrones has a lot of emotional interest, but uh, as the as the cast dwindles, <laughs> um, your emotional interest is less and less. As I like, for example, I don't care about the kid that can see through wolves and time. I don't care about that kid. See, that sounds interesting to me. Right, I want to know more about the kid. Yeah, you might like the kid, but okay. I I was bored by the kid. But for me, fundamentally, what I wasn't interested in was what lost me was there was no story. Right. So, kill your protagonists if you want. Just bear in mind why it's not a good idea and <laughs> fix it it's like everything else yeah, you can you do gotta, what you want you gotta, yeah, you, can do you just gotta know I why you're doing it I think that's it, it. Yeah, uh, just do what you want it's worth hammering that point you can do what you want but yeah. you gotta know yeah. you gotta know what problems come with such yeah. a drastic turn like that exactly you kill off your protagonist what do you risk you risk having no story and losing the emotional interest Yeah. you kill the protagonist and you risk losing your audience why do you lose your audience? Because of those things. Keep your audience around by giving those things. That's why I said, like, if Cersei picks up the um, the incest story, the story's carrying on. The story, yeah. But and now all of a sudden, like, you're interested. Yeah. And then you can ha- you have time to give her the emotional interest that she needs. You can dimensionalize them. So, or whatever. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Hope you're happy, Colleen Rodden. <laughs> That's Game of Thrones. Um, winner is coming. I don't know. Wrap up war? <laughs> that's that's one way to wrap up oh. the podcast. Uh, we'll cut that bit. <laughs>